You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Didn't meet you yet. My name is Brenna Rubio, and I'm one of the co-pastors here at City Church of Long Beach. And it's just really good to be together. I'm kind of almost feeling this little, like, sunshine and warmth high this morning. You know, like, how is it possible? Um, You know, can't be in a bad mood when there's this much sunshine and warmth to be had on a late day in January. It makes you feel bad for the people who are, like, enduring a blizzard (laughs) in other parts of the country. Um, So we are in the middle of a series all about relationships, working from the book of Philippians, which is in the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, and, and it's just one of those topics that, honestly, it's like we all have to talk about at different times, right? Because relationships are so important, and yet they are not easy. And so our topic today uh, is about one of those aspects of relationships that is particularly not easy. Uh, it's the, that tricky reality that as much as we love people, we often end up fighting with them, right? We have disagreements, and those disagreements can be no big deal, but oftentimes they're a really big deal. So I was remembering back when I was first starting out in ministry, you know, I was just this young, dumb kid who just graduated college, and, uh, you know, I thought I was going to go get, like, a real job um, and, you know, make a lot of money and all that kind of stuff, and instead someone offered me uh, a chance to just do ministry in the college where I had been a student and just to spend all my time just hanging out with people and talking with them about Jesus. And I was like, well, that sounds kind of fun. And so, you know, to the joy of my parents, um, I turned down the real job (laughs) and I did ministry. And so I, I started working and I was the young little intern with two married couples who were on a ministry team together on this college campus. And they were all wonderful people. They were four incredibly wonderful people. And, you know, so I was just so excited, man. I was going to learn so much. And this was just going to be this incredible, you know, opportunity, getting to be with these people who all love each other. And um, within about three or four months, the couples were in the midst of a huge fight that would end up lasting for about two years. Uh, Just two wonderful, I mean, two wonderful couples, just amazing people. And yet, for a combination of factors that I, I still can't fully understand. You know, I think there's some personality differences. Um, there's some individual challenges, you know, going on uh, with each couple. I'm, I, I can't fully understand it. But they were in the middle of this just deep, divisive conflict that actually made it really, really hard. It was discouraging. It was painful. Um, it made it really hard for them to do ministry together. But even just on a on a personal level, for me, like watching it going like, wow, what is going on? But this is the stuff that happens, right? And, and we've all experienced those situations, you know, in your workplace, in your families, even with your friend group, where you see people who you know and you love them both, right? They're awesome people. And yet something happens and, and they're fighting and they can't seem to get over it. And there's this division that ends up happening. Um, And we've actually all been in those kinds of fights, right? Someone who you deeply love, deeply respect, and yet you end up in this this space of of distance that's that's really painful and really sad. Well, the passage that we're going to read today, it's a pretty short one, but it's the writer of this letter of Philippians, the Apostle Paul, uh, and he's in one of these situations. Two people that he knows and loves and respects 
are in a fight. And he is sad, just incredibly, incredibly sad. And, and he wants them to work it out. He says that he's pleading for them to work it out. But more than just talking to the two people who are in the fight, he's actually inviting the whole community in on the process. The, the particular friend who is going to receive this letter, he's saying, hey, you friend, you help them work it out. You get in the middle. And so today, that's actually kind of the posture that I want to come in and say, like, yeah, let's, as a community, help each other out. Let's figure this out together. Like, what do we do when we get stuck in these kinds of fights? Is there a way that we can take this thing that always happens? We will have disagreements. We will have fights. We will get into conflict. Could we do it better? Could the chances, the opportunities, the spaces where we end up in conflict actually become opportunities to actually grow in our love for each other. So our friend Barbara Sinclair has agreed to read for us this morning. So would you welcome up, welcome up Barbara with me? Philippians 4, 2 and 3. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Sintiche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, Help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. People of God, this is the word of God. And thanks for those of you who stood without me even reminding you. And those who sat, don't even worry about it, because I didn't say it. I totally forgot. I also realized, hi, people on Zoom. I'm really glad you're here this morning, too. You get to hang out with Bill, who I'm sure is going to be very active in passing notes and talking. Um. Okay, so a few things that I'm gonna, I'm gonna suggest as kind of caveats before we get into some, some really pretty practical stuff around getting into healthy fights, healthy conflict with people that we love. So a first kind of caveat uh, is that as, as poorly as the church can do in this area of fighting well with each other on sort of this individual level, the church, generally speaking, has done even worse at talking about fights that are not individual, but communal. Conflicts that happen, offenses that happen, that are not actually just between two people, but are really systemic, are really about hey, things that are baked in to our entire culture. So I find it really intriguing, right, that this in this particular passage we're looking at this morning, the community is being invited in. Already in our passage this morning, we're seeing this like it's not just these two people. It actually affects all of us. We, we as a community actually have an interest in wanting peace and wanting to address these things. And particularly because as a church, we're really committed to talking about issues of justice. Again, I just don't want to fail to take the opportunity to say there are some issues where it's not just about the two people involved. So one example of this is a story from, at this point, and it, it's so sad, right? We have to, at any given moment, there are always new stories, but we have to go back a year or two for this story, the killing of Botham Jean, uh, who was in his own apartment uh, when an off-duty police officer walked in, for some reason thinking it was her apartment, and shot him. Right, and so it was a big story, and, and the police officer was actually sentenced in that case. But the kind of 
one of the stories that emerged towards the end of that process, the sentencing that happened with that officer, was that Botham's brother offered forgiveness to the police officer. And so all of a sudden there was this sort of cultural uproar and conversation around this act of forgiveness with some people going, look, this is the gospel, right? This is, oh, this is good news. This is beauty. This is, this is what we do. We have to forgive each other. This is reconciliation. And other people saying, wait, wait a second. And, and I, I found this, um, this article that I thought just summarized so clearly what what the real issue was that people were pointing to here. And it, it was that distinction between when are things individual acts that need to be forgiven and when are they social? When are they communal? Where it's not just for one person to say, um, to, to offer forgiveness. So Anthea Butler, who's a professor of theology, writes this. How do we process what forgiveness means on a structural level when so many times we're asked to think about forgiveness as an individual Christian practice, are these individual extensions of forgiveness doing more harm than good? I ask these questions because in our American context, extending forgiveness for racially motivated killings, be they murders or accidents, is not situated simply in individual actions, but in a history that is filled with prejudices and persecution. And so there's this real sense, right, of, you know, it may have been for the brother to offer personal forgiveness, but the brother couldn't offer communal forgiveness. There was actually still a larger context uh, that, that the restoration was going to have to happen in. There was a need still for the process. There was still a need for deep structural justice, for true and not just superficial restoration. So we have to keep in mind that sometimes, in some situations, it's not just two people. It's actually a community, a communal issue. Okay, so that's one little caveat to start as we're talking about uh, conflict this morning. The second caveat is that as I am going to kind of be talking with you about conflict this morning and suggesting a few practical, practical things and steps we can take to do conflict better, um, we actually have to come in acknowledging that it will not always work. It will not always work. And some people you will discover are actually not safe to have good, healthy conflict with. Um, I love healthy conflict. I love coaching people in it. I love talking with people about it. I feel very like the rah-rah conflict cheerleader. And there are people in my life um, who I've just had to realize, like, not that I've completely given up, but I know if I just, just offer a, a full hey, come into this conversation with me. You know, let's, let's, let's do it. You know, let's share our hearts. Let's figure it out. Um, I will get damaged. They just don't know how. And they may not even be trying to damage me. They're not evil people. Um, they just don't know how. And my offer scares them, and we end up in a bad place. And so even the Apostle Paul, earlier in the same letter, in the book of Philippians, is talking about a group of people that he's in conflict with. And what he says is, watch out. He doesn't say, I plead with you to reconcile. He says, watch out. They're not safe. And we don't get all of the, you know, what happened and why. You know, maybe I, I kind of hope, you know, that Paul had a little bit of a process that he tried first before he called them evildoers and dogs. 
Um, I mean, I'm going to talk about not name-calling later, and he's not helping me out there. Um, so I hope he had a little bit of a process before he was just like, watch out. But it does resonate with our lived experience, right, that we actually get to be careful and cautious and wise as we think about conflict. There are people where maybe you're not going to cut them off completely, but you're cautious in how you try. You, you do your best to be at peace from your side, um, but but you can't control them, and so you do have to be careful, and you do get to watch out. So that is caveat number two as we come into that this morning. Okay, so back to Paul's main point, back to two people that Paul cares about quite a bit, and he is pleading with them, be of the same mind in the Lord. That's a really interesting phrase, right? Like, what what does that even mean? Like, and how is that going to give us guidance in how we, we talk with people? Like, I'm actually saying it's not going to be very effective if, you know, when my husband and I start to have a fight, I just look at him and say, hey, I just think we need to be of the same mind in the Lord. Like, this is actually not going to help us um, when you're fighting with your teenager, when you're fighting with your, your coworker. I'm sorry, that particular phrase is probably not going to do anything. Um, but there's something behind that, right? And, and what's behind it? is going to be incredibly helpful. Uh, it, it's actually incredibly deep and incredibly wise. So this phrase is actually a callback to, again, something earlier in the letter that Paul's written. He's already kind of talked about these things, and th so now he's really grabbing onto it as he's talking about this conflict uh, that his friends are having. So earlier in the second chapter in Philippians, he talks, he's asking the people, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love. Did you hear that word mind, by the way? Being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Mind again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So if you had that passage in front of you, and you were just sitting with it for a minute, here are a few themes that might start to kind of pop out to you, like what it means to be like-minded. Well, it seems to have something to do with love, right? Having the same love. It seems to have something to do with humility. It seems to have something to do with caring about other people, looking out for them, wanting good not just for yourself, but for the other people in your lives. So what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to spend a little time with this tool, this diagram, that uh, I think of as the care challenge axis. It's actually out there in a few different forms. You know, you can find it on the internet and stuff. But I think of it as the care challenge axis. So care is our Y axis here. So towards the top of the chart is where you have a lot of care in a system or an approach to a person. And towards the bottom would be, okay, we don't have a lot of care. It's more kind of like, eh, you know, yeah, you just don't care. I, I was thinking some other words, but I realized I shouldn't say them right this second. Um, okay. Then we have the x-axis, which is where your challenge is, which for our purposes this morning, we're going to think of challenge as being spoken conflict. Like spoken, what's bothering you, you're actually going to say it out loud. You are challenging by sharing what's on your mind in, in a moment of disagreement, of conflict. So this is where challenge is high, it's present, it's spoken, 
And over here on this side of the chart is where the conflict is unspoken. It doesn't mean it's not there. It means nobody is saying it out loud. It means that there's an elephant in the room. Uh, you've heard that phrase before, right? Like the elephant that's like sitting right there on your rug and nobody is talking about it. We just kind of all tiptoe around it and pretend it's not there. I hate elephants in the room, by the way. Total pet peeve. Um, I name the elephants every chance I can get. But we do that all the time. We have elephants in the room, and it's, it's something that is unspoken. So really quickly, over here on this unspoken side where the elephants are, if, if something is unspoken and there's also not a whole lot of care, we may experience that as just coldness. It's kind of a void. It's an empty area. It could be where maybe everybody knows the conflict is there, but the two people aren't speaking anymore, right? Like there's just this sense of like it's cut offness when you're over here in this aspect of low care and low challenge. But also on the unspoken side, you could have a lot of care that's there in the relationship, and yet the conflict isn't being spoken because maybe you're worried about how it's going to be received. Um, you're, you're worried that the person is going to be offended uh, if you tell them what's really on your mind. You're not sure how they'll take it, and you just don't want to rock the boat. I think of this as the area of false comfort. Um, so here's a really, really trivial example, but it's the person who sees that you have something big and green stuck in your teeth, and they don't tell you. You know, and so you go through like an hour-long conversation, and then you see yourself in the mirror, and you're like, why didn't they tell me? Because you thought it was great. There was false comfort. They didn't want to embarrass you, but you actually kind of wish they had said something, right? So that you could have like had true comfort of knowing that you didn't have something stuck in your teeth, you know, as you were engaging in life. Um, so this is the unspoken area. It doesn't really seem like that is what Paul's Paul's talking about as much. Maybe, maybe it's there, but everybody seems to be very aware that a conflict is out there between these two people. And so I'm, I'm curious a little bit more about this side uh, of, of the axis this morning, this, this space where challenge is actually spoken and shared. Um, because there are different ways that we can actually get into conflict with people. So if you think about your family of origin, usually families process conflict in one of two ways, like either you're over here on this unspoken side, right? And so conflict in your family was always repressed. You know, whether it was repressed warmly or coldly, there's just a sense that you knew things were wrong sometimes, but nobody was actually talking about it, right? People would just be kind of wandering around, either in a huff or maybe crying a little bit or, you know, and, and so you just never actually saw conflict happening in your house. Some people have experience with that. So you're like, what does healthy conflict like I look like? You know, I've actually never seen it happen in front of me. How do people fight? No idea. I've never seen it. Other people, conflict was very loud and present in your families growing up. Um, people, people definitely got angry verbally. You knew when somebody was upset. But a lot of the times, it was in hurtful sorts of ways. Right? And so when conflict erupted in your home, it erupted with yelling. It erupted with name-calling. In some cases, it erupted with violence, with people actually physically hurting each other. So there was a lot of challenge, 
but there wasn't a lot of care. It felt rough. It felt harsh. It was stressful when conflict happened in your home. It was a, it was a space of demand. And this is actually not what we're invited into by the Apostle Paul as we follow Jesus. It's, it's just not. Later on, just a couple verses later, Paul's going to say, let your gentleness be evident to all. And so the kind of conflict that we want to get into, one of the aspects of it is going to be that it's gentle. That, you know, it's, it's not us attacking. No, it's going to be a conflict that's actually much more marked by curiosity, welcome, invitation instead of demand. One of the phrases that you'll often hear, uh, or the way phrases will often start in a system of demand, a system that's really, really harsh, is you'll hear a lot of you statements. You never. You always. Why are you so stupid? Why are you so thoughtless? You're so rude. This sense of attack, right, of judgment. This is who you are. And what I'm going to suggest as we keep on going is that curious and respectful statements often start with I. I wonder. I think. I feel. I want. I noticed. We're going to get more into that. But, but can you hear already how there's just this sense of, of coming from a different posture? It's a posture that, here was our other word that we heard over and over again in that what it means to be like-minded. It's a posture of humility. Because the reality is, I don't know, I mean, any given person, I'm looking at all of you, right? I'm going like, I don't know your heart. I don't know who you are. I might know some things about your story. I have some kind of starting intuitions, you know, about who you are, what's on your mind, what's on your heart, how God is working in your life. Uh, the more I've heard your story, the more I begin to understand. But, but I don't know you. You know you. I have this limited T truth about who you are. Lower, lowercase t truth. I have my truth. I experience you this way. I notice you this way. I've heard you say this. I've watched you do that. I've got my side of the story, but I, you've got your side of the story, right? And so humility says that I don't play the Holy Spirit in your life. I don't pretend that I can just come in and say, you this. No, I just, I get to offer what I've got, my side of the story. And I get to stay humble and curious to say, I, one second. Just a little too loud with that airplane. I get to stay humble and curious to say, I actually want to hear your side of the story. Because how can I care about you? How can I value what you want and what you need unless I've listened well? Like, I actually need to hear from you to understand. I was thinking, you know, in that earlier chapter in Philippians, Philippians 2, Paul holds Jesus up as saying, hey, you know the reason we do this for each other? You know the reason we have this kind of mind? It's this kind of like-mindedness, the mind of Christ? It's not just that Jesus was an example of that for us, and he was. All sorts of just radical humility embodied in Jesus day by day, moment by moment. It's not just that he modeled it for us, though. It's that he actually interacted with us this way. 
that as Jesus interacted with us, it wasn't down here. It wasn't over here where he refused to tell us the truth, but it also wasn't in this harsh spot where we felt yelled at. It was in this space of radical care and radical curiosity. So I think of this story with Jesus and the bleeding woman. She'd been bleeding for 12 years, which made her an outcast in her society. And so she, she creeps up behind Jesus. He doesn't even see her because she just wants to touch his cloak because maybe, maybe she'll be healed. And Jesus senses it. And he looks around and he asks the question, who touched me? Curiosity, right? Even Jesus is saying, I don't actually know. I know something happened. You could, you could actually imagine putting, putting those words at the beginning like, I noticed someone touched me. I wonder who. Who touched me? And because of this invitation, because of this curiosity, this care, the woman, shaking and trembling just beside herself, finds the bravery to speak to him and share, it says, all of her story. And he listens. This is the space where we listen to each other. And that listening is transformative. That listening is life-changing. There's a quote some of you may have heard before by a man named David Augsburger. He says, being listened to is so close to being loved, most people can't tell the difference. This is the space where a simple fight becomes just a radical act of love. So usually when I talk with people about conflict, and like I said, I have this weird, I really like talking with people about conflict and how to do it well. We have something called the conflict wheel uh, that we talk about and is four different I statements that we'll walk through in terms of how you might share your side of the story in a conflict and then really invite someone in to, to share their side of the story. And it's, it's really simple. I'm going to give you all four, but then we're just going to focus on the first two this morning together for a couple of minutes. So the four-step sequence of I statements is, I noticed, I thought, I felt, and I want. I noticed, it was just something objective, right? Like I noticed you roll your eyes. Um, I thought, this is my interpretation of what I saw. This is my side of the story. I, we're storytellers. We, we can't just take the raw data, we create meaning out of it. So I noticed you roll your eyes, and I thought you were being disrespectful to me. I didn't think you were respecting me, and I felt hurt. I had, a, I had an actual emotional response to that. I want you to respect me. Now, that's just my side of the story, right? And the other person is going to have a chance to share theirs. But this morning, I would actually like us just to focus on the first two steps. Because I think in a lot of our everyday conflicts, the first two steps are actually all it takes to get started sometimes. It breaks the silence, and it begins to invite that conversation. It's basically what Jesus did when he said, who touched me? And we could reframe it as he's saying, I noticed someone touched me. I wonder who. And so those are the two words that I want us to think about this morning. When we notice and we wonder. Um, I wasn't planning on doing this, but this is what I feel like in the moment. Could somebody give me a really simple conflict story? Like not a big involved one, but just like a situation where you feel stressed out with someone. 
I think she's going to summarize for us here in a second. Okay. Got it. Got it. So there is a situation, I'm going to rephrase for everyone, especially online, where there are decisions being made and money being spent around particular school options for a grandchild. And like I said, money has been paid. Um, and then parents change their mind. And so we can all hear implicit in there, there's potential for some frustration. You know, agreements have been broken, money has been wasted, there are some different, you know, levels that we can. So an example of like how we might start a conflict conversation, something like that would be as simple potentially saying like, hey, you know, I remember we had said this and I noticed you're changing your mind. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about that. Man, I wonder if you could share with me what's behind that decision. And then we'd listen, right? Because we have our feelings, and yet aren't we so curious about what's happening? Um, now, it's easy, of course, right, just to speak out of our frustrations, you know, and just kind of go in there, because we are, we're frustrated, and we're hurt, and uh, maybe even feel a little left out. There are all sorts of emotions that could be playing out, right? But in so many situations, if we can just start with, I noticed and I wonder, could you tell me a little bit about that? It can be such just a practical invitation into conversation. So we're actually, we're going to spend just a couple of minutes practicing together. Uh, I'm going to invite you to get in a, in a small group, you know, maybe think. All right, here we go, friends. This is the moment of courage and strength. I believe in you. I've split you. I've, I've followed the spirits leading and split you into some remarkable small groups. These people will probably be your best friends for life. Well, maybe not your best friends for life, but they're good people to meet. So I put some of the families together. I put some of the, yeah, I don't know. I just threw some people together. So we're going to try it now. If you don't want to be in a small group, I totally get it. All right. You can hang on the line and in about six minutes. We'll come back, but look at those questions. All right. You can share around these. You don't have to go, you don't have to overshare, but talk about what did conflict look like in your family growing up? Uh, and you might even think about the care challenge axis. And is there a conflict happening in your life now that you're sad about? It could be a, it's one you're witnessing or one that you're in. Uh, and then just talk about how this goes, okay? So I'm gonna send you guys to groups, all right? I will be here so you can, you can uh, message me if you need me, and, you know, I'm going to put my phone number here too, just in case, like, there you go. That's my phone number. If you just, if you need me and I'm going to send you to breakout rooms. Okay. So good luck. Okay. Back be to too, For a little bit this morning, not just to be talked at by someone like me. Um, I wonder, you know, is there anyone who wants to share just a little bit, something that came out of their group and friends on zoom, I have my phone out. So if you put something in the chat, I can see that too, but was there anything that you heard that you were just like, wow? Oh, I, I see something with Donna. Just wanted to say I appreciated everybody being courageous and trying to share in groups. You know, it's slightly awkward, but you guys are doing awesome. And, you know, we're just trying to figure out how to be church these days. Yes, so thank you. Yes. So the comment was just realizing like it takes two, two to tango. And if the other person sort of 
won't play ball, right? Like if, if you kind of toss it to them, like, hey, you know, like I want to listen, but they, you know, they stay in attack mode or they refuse to talk, right? Like, like everybody has to come into it with that same spirit uh, of gentleness, of listening for it to really be effective. Yeah, totally true. Thank you. Um, any other like aha moments or think just observations as you were listening to each other? Let me see. I got a thank you to a group for sharing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and just so you guys know, we don't do breakouts every week. We do it maybe once a month or every six weeks or so, but, you know, just trying to figure out ways to, to make it interactive. So thanks for bearing with us. Yeah. Oh, that was such a sweet reflection from Christopher. His comment was basically to the effect of sometimes when we, we can't receive this sort of thing in our own families, and yet we can show up in a space like this and create this kind of community for each other. Right, that there is this sense of almost alternative family, and man, we actually see that a lot in Scripture. Like that, that is part of say, like this is a new family in God. Um, it is actually just as messy <laughs> as our old family sometimes, but we can practice and we can work to love each other well. Um, a couple comments from Zoom: problems with conflict between two people usually affect more than just those two people. Woo, so wise. I'm glad I'm married to that man. Um, <laughs> it's hard to find safe people to have these kinds of conflict with. Um, and, and how do we actually love people well when it is hard? I mean, is there some more wisdom out there beyond just be cautious, you know, be careful, watch out? Oh, it's a good question. Um, and yeah. So, so in some ways, part of what we're all, all, what I'm sensing in those comments from Zoom is just some of that grief. That as hard as we try, we can't actually control all of it, and that sometimes we will still end up with broken relationships, and there truly is grief there. And we actually want to hold that space for each other, too. Friends, thank you for being willing to dive in to this conversation.